Imagine living your life after 50 and feeling energized and excited about your future. Welcome to the Women in the Middle podcast, the podcast for women who are ready to figure out what they want and create the life they deserve. Here's your host and master certified life coach, Susie Rosenstein. Hey there, today we're talking about celebrating 10 years in a second career as a life coach, and I'm having a fun, lively chat with my classmate, Tavana Boggs. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, Women in the Middle, with over a million downloads and counting. I'm your host, Susie Rosenstein, your master certified coach and midlife mentor, and I am so glad to be here with you again. I'm actually delighted to share this episode with you. If you're listening in real time, it turns out that this week marks the 10-year anniversary of my decision to start training as a life coach. And as a regular listener of this podcast, you just might know how much I value a good celebration around here. <laughs> so I thought it would be fun to invite one of my classmates from that life coach certification class in 2014 onto the show to talk about some of our experiences, insights, and reflections over the last 10 years of starting and running our own business. Life coaching is a second career for both of us. Our path forward was quite different, and it's no surprise that there were lots of ups and downs along the way. We've learned so much and really enjoyed this chance to reflect together. So let me tell you a little bit about my guest and fellow master certified coach, Tavana Boggs. Coaches, consultants, and experts go to Tavana when their business isn't moving like it should or it hurts when they try to move it. She uses her unique background as a physical therapist turned master certified life and business coach to help entrepreneurs with big hearts build businesses full of their favorite clients that make lots of money without burning themselves out or giving up the values in the process. Using her approach to offer creation and minimalist marketing, her clients have generated six figures plus with an email list of only a few hundred people and less than 2,000 followers on social media, all while working four days a week. When she's not handling business, you can find her singing karaoke, or enjoying the white sands and beautiful blue waters of Mexico, which she currently calls home. I know you're going to find our conversation reflecting on building life coaching businesses and becoming entrepreneurs pretty interesting, so please enjoy. Hi, Tavana. Thanks so much for joining me today on the Women in the Middle podcast. It's so good to be here. I'm, I'm just so elated that you invited me to come and chat about 10 years 10, Ten years. years. I know. I can't believe it. Um, we are really going to celebrate with reflection about our 10 year anniversary of being life coaches. And we were in a training program together in 2014, January 2014. And I think there were 10 of us, right? It wasn't that many. I, I do not remember how many it was, but I still marvel over it being a teleconference. Remember freeconferencecall.com. And I don't know if you remember, but I'm like, how did we not talk over each other? <laughs> that is a miracle. You are absolutely right. I wonder if somebody else had the mute button, if the organizer had the unmute. Maybe. Because that would have been, yeah, that would have been impossible. But let's start today's interview. I mean, it's going to hard to be hard to shut us up, I think. But let's just start. If you could just introduce yourself a little bit about what your business and how you serve, what you do. And then I've got lots of good questions for both of us to reflect and go in the Wayback Machine. So take it away. What do you do awesome. in the world, Tavana? 
Well, you can find me at Tavana Denise on the internet streets. That's how I like to say it. And I am a life and business coach for people who really want to have the impact and the lifestyle that they want. I think that sometimes we're so used to being helpers and we forget ourselves. So it's so important to me that we build a business that creates impact, but doesn't sacrifice the lifestyle that we want and the values that we want. And the way that I do that with people is through what I call the minimalist marketing method. Well, we will definitely have to hear a little bit more about that. Um, I, I can't even like, right, as soon as you started to say that, I was trying to think, what were you doing? What were your thoughts about what you were going to do when we started? And I can't, I can't actually remember. I have an image of one time we had a conversation. Um, on the phone, just a regular old phone, not Zoom, because Noom was Zoom was not anywhere near us. It hadn't been talked about. I don't know if the company had started or not, but we were telephone, telephone All training, telephone communication. So I remember having a conversation with you about your book, I think. And I mm-hmm. remember walking right here in the patio, which is I'm pointing out the window that's right next to my desk. And it was in the summer and it was like a big catch up call. And, and I just remember then being a little bit surprised about what you were doing. So let's start this conversation by going way back to what your thoughts were about why you wanted to become a life coach. What was, what was going on for you during the training? And did you think at that point it would have, it would be a business for you or just another way to enhance personal development? Ooh, so many things. Well, Let's start by saying it's Tim Ferriss's fault that I live in Mexico. It's his fault that I am in part his fault that I'm a coach and doing it the way that I do it because I read his book, The 4-Hour Work Week, back in 2007, and I decided I want to have that lifestyle. I want to be able to live anywhere, be the new rich and all the things and ditch the nine, nine to five, however the subtitle is, right? And so that began a process of me trying to figure out because I had a physical therapy contracting company at the time. And that was very physical. I had to be there to, to do the work. I had to be there to, if I was supervising somebody. So like I couldn't have that freedom that I wanted. And so that book put this little light of the seed in my mind that it was possible. But the way he was talking about doing it, I was like, I don't want to be shipping supplements and t-shirts and all of that kind of thing. So I just kind of just kept it there and went about my contracting work. And then as a physical therapist, we had to take continuing education courses. And one weekend we took a course and at the end they gave me a wellness coach certification. And I was like, oh, this is going to be good (laughs) because then I thought to myself, okay, I don't have to be there. I can use a telephone, use a telephone from anywhere. And so that's how I got into coaching. And I think because I had my first business before I had my license in physical therapy, I always wanted to be a business owner. So I had at that time also a wellness, um, an alternative fitness event company. Hmm. And when I got that wellness coaching certification, I matched it with that. And then when I got certified at the school where we got certified, that's how I got my first clients because I already had that company and I was doing events and we had 500 women in it. And we were going to different uh, boutique fitness studios and gyms because I wanted women to know that there was more than one way to work out. You didn't just have to lift weights or 
go jogging or something. Mm. So I already had the community base. And then when I found out about coaching and we got, and I got certified, then that's how I put the two together and was able to get clients pretty quickly for at the time what I was doing, which was weight loss coaching. Mm, Okay. It's funny because I didn't know anything about life coaching. And so you, you kind of got the inside scoop before I did. I um, was working in a long-term job. I'd been there for 19 years. It was an addiction and mental health focused um, publishing wing is where I was. And so it was like health education, health promotion. And that it has, that was what I'd been doing for 27 years. At that point, it wasn't quite 20. Oh no, I got laid off. That's right. At this point that we're talking about, it was 27 years. And I was stuck for five years before that. And so I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I had started feeling an urge to explore other options, but I was way too afraid to leave without a solid plan. It felt too indulgent for me. Um, but I started, I had this thing happen. I've told this story a couple of times throughout the over 300 episodes now, but I had this experience where I was in a needlepoint store. And so at that time I was working on a couple of projects and I ended up in a needlepoint store and needlepointing was new to me. And one day I walked in there and the owner of the store was very busy with maybe five or six ladies at the back of the store working around this large, one of those higher tables. And all the ladies were leaning over like like they were studying. They were looking at something so carefully. And I'm like, what's going on here? What's she teaching them? Mm-hmm. I I just loved being in the store because there were so many colors and threads and canvases. And it was such a cool place to be. And then I see what's going on, that the owner of the store is teaching these women. And she's got this beautiful store. And what is happening here? Like, how could somebody make a living on needlepoint? I was so confused. I remember going back to my J-O-B, sitting there. I had a door. I remember the door being closed. And I just came back feeling sad that this woman figured out how to be an entrepreneur doing what she loved, and I hadn't figured it out. And, oh, my God, maybe I want to be an entrepreneur more than I thought. And then I started to think about all the things I had done over the years that were entrepreneurial, starting from when I was 12 or 13 with calligraphy, doing envelopes, calligraphy envelopes for weddings and bar mitzvahs. And it started early. And then I had lots of things that happened between now and then. Once I had that needlepoint epiphany, I started then to notice how afraid I was to be an entrepreneur when I had a good job. And it was a good job. It looked great on paper and it was a good job. I loved it for 19 years, but I'd been there too long. And I just couldn't believe I was so fearful. Like I thought why I was stuck for five years was every other possible reason. But then I realized I was so afraid. Like I thought I was confused about what to do. It was way Mm -hmm. more than that. I was afraid. I was afraid I'd aged out. I was afraid to put myself out there. Like I was just so afraid. So for me, becoming a life coach was something that came, kept coming up as I was looking at, I have a master's in applied social psychology. So I'm like, oh, maybe I should do a PhD or maybe uh, I love counseling. Maybe I should look at becoming a teacher and then I can become a guidance counselor. And I looked at everything from solar panels and dog grooming to a PhD. And I kept just coming up with life coach options as I was on this search, not for dog grooming, but for the PhD in psychology kinds of options. And I'm like, what is this coaching? And I started to look at it and 
I thought, oh, I need to be bricks and mortar. I need a classroom to go into and sit down on a chair and learn. I thought that. And then I also thought, I don't even know how to make this choice. I don't understand the language. I don't understand the differences between schools. And then I met somebody who was a life coach. I asked her how she made her decision, and I just did what she did. And at that point, that brings us back to how we started. It was remote learning, which in 2014 wasn't quite as common or popular as it is now. And it was by telephone with people I hadn't met, and I didn't know much about the field at all. And I kept thinking, well, I have a background in psychology. I'm well-prepared. And then I get on this call and almost everybody, I think I was the minority, well, I know I was the minority, maybe one other person didn't already have a life coach certificate. Most of the people in the group were working on their second or third. And then I just felt like a beginner and I felt really scared and nervous about what I'd be able to do. But uh, it was great. It turned out to be a great opportunity, but that's kind of how I got to it. My layoff was the gift I couldn't give myself. And then mm. so once I started the training, I started to be exposed to how people are making a business out of becoming a life coach. Mm. And then I just kind of rolled with it because I didn't have another plan. I did have a little bit of, um, you know, support when you get laid off. There was a little bit of support for me to do some community program about careers and and things like that. So I had a little bit of a buffer zone to ease me in. But yeah, that was really it. I just thought I'm going to roll with it. It feels like a good fit for me. And it was something I could never do without a push. Yeah. You're talking about the pushes. I need to jump forward a little bit because you were like the the gift I couldn't give myself. And that's very profound because that's actually what happened to me with the pandemic. Because oh. by then I had already been certified for six years. And in 2019, I had decided that that was the year that I was going to get serious again about being a coach and making it make money. And my only goal that year was for the business to pay for its own expenses that year. And that was huge for me. And then the next year, December 31st, I said, I am coming up out of here, meaning out of the hospitals. And the business was going to pay for my livelihood and itself. And that year was incredible for so many reasons on the business side, although it was very challenging from the personal side and the world side and the isolation side. And so, I mean, it was, it was beautiful and horrendous all at the same time. Mm. And so I really appreciate what you said about it was a gift that I couldn't give myself because like you said, you get like the golden handcuffs. They're called that for a reason. Like my contracting company had been doing six figures for years. I knew what to do. Like I knew how to do it with my eyes closed and my hands tied behind my back. And the interesting thing about that is I end up working with a lot of women who are in that space. They are masterful at what they do, so much so that they're mentoring other people's, so much so that they actually are not burned out really because they they love it. They're bored. Exactly. And that's where I was getting. It was just like, okay, I've got 20, 30 more years to do this. And I don't want to do it in this way anymore. And like you said, making the decision and then the world just, was just like, okay, well, you just got pushed. You better, you better fly. You better show them that you can fly. So 
Exactly. It, I had that same feeling like there really was nothing wrong with my job. I had been in it too long. I really mm-hmm. was bored. And, you know, we like to be challenged. And a lot of research supports the importance of doing something novel to keep relationships alive, to keep yourself engaged. And, uh, you know, there's all kinds of fear and other stuff that comes up when you think about doing something new. But uh, yeah, when it it's handed to you, I really couldn't ignore it. It's like I could go look for another job or I could dabble. I could dabble. Actually, starting a business, you're awfully often dabbling anyway, because you really don't know what you're doing. And okay. I guess that was a big that was a really big lesson, um, too, when you think about it now with 10 years in, is that I don't think I really understood. I wasn't stupid, like I wasn't completely ignorant, but I don't think I really understood what it would take on the business end of things, like the learning curve for being a good life coach took time, but the learning curve for being, uh, for, to create a successful business is super challenging. Like I don't, I don't want to compare it, but I felt like I understood a deeper level of what it takes to be a life coach before I understood how to oh, rock yeah. my business. You do? Well, and Oh, yeah. And the way I think about it now and I explain it to people is when you decide to become a certified life coach, you don't realize that you're signing up for a dual degree. Right. One of them is in life coaching and the other one is in business. And the challenge for most of us is you need you need clients to get good at your craft. But in order to get the clients Oftentimes you need to get good at business in order to get the client so that you can be good at your craft. And so, you know, I think that's also sometimes why I would recommend, and I think this is why it took me so long to really find my footing in coaching, is if I had to do it all again, I would have probably leaned more on my background as a physical therapist and the confidence and the credibility and the connections that I had over there and just added coaching to it. Because then I would have had less of a of a hump to get over. Absolutely. In terms of that. And then all I had to do was focus on the business part, because even if we think about it in terms of two degrees, the coaching and then business, think about business. Even if you just look at the most basic organizational chart, there are at least five positions there. And those are in in a, in a brick and mortar business, typically five different people's jobs. And so there's a lot of stuff to learn and to get good at and to create and to feel confident in. And so I don't know about you, but that's why I think it takes so much more of us and so often so much longer for us to get successful in business. And like you said, a lot of us are not paying credence to this. And and the challenge is we don't know it or we don't really believe it when people say it. Cause it just seems like people are like, Oh, I just popped out. And yesterday I made a zillion dollars. <laughs> like, did you look at what was behind that zillion dollars? Yeah. It might look like that. And that last piece clicked into place or that last pivot clicked into place, but they have a lot of stuff behind them that they're standing on. And yeah. so I think a lot of people, get discouraged when they see that, but they don't see what's behind it. That's why I try to tell people with six years before I got to six figures. And I'm not ashamed of that, but that's why I'm also still here. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I also think that um, it's easy to underestimate all of that, but definitely the tech and your thoughts about tech. So this comes up so much with the midlife gals and on the, uh, yeah, it's just unbelievable. You don't even realize how much you rely on tech support when you're employed by somebody else. I'm not the one who has to figure stuff out. I had never been the one in almost 30 years to have to figure stuff out. And all of a sudden to be, to be the one who has to figure. Now, now I know that I can rely pretty heavily on Google. You get better at asking a question and you, you get more automatic in trying to figure it out or phoning a friend is usually helpful too. But usually now I can figure it out on Google, but I would say until probably three years ago, maybe four being in the, I've had the podcast for six and a half years now, definitely well into the podcast. I was, if something went wrong, like if I was teaching or on a zoom call or if something went wrong, I would literally shake. I was so nervous. I would be trembling that I couldn't think clearly. I would start to sweat. I felt so much pressure to perform and do it a good job. And, you know, the perfectionist thing and, and then the, I feel like an idiot piece of it that I can't figure out how to make my mic work or whatever. But it would, it would trip me up to the point that I would be shaking. And now when I turn, sometimes you turn your computer on and the, the buttons change, the settings change. You didn't do anything <laughs> and things are changed. And now I don't freak about that. I just, I know I can figure it out. So the new way I've learned to think is I'm learning to be a woman who can figure out how to run her business. That thought has changed my life and calmed me down. Um, but I don't know it right away. I just don't tremble and sweat the way I used to, but it would really freak me out. And we're not talking about brain surgery here. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> how do I get my mic to work? The setting's wrong. I don't sound clear. There's something wrong with Zoom. Um, you know, I, I don't remember what year it was, but maybe it was during the pandemic where there were these jokes that somebody's kid borrowed their computer and they went on a Zoom call and they had cat ears on or something like that. that they couldn't get oh, off. No. <laughs> so you got to know where the filters are and, and things like that. Anyway, but that really threw me tech. And then this underestimating the idea that there are pieces to your business that are a drag and you could care less, but you got to figure it out. You have to figure it out. Trademark, copyright, insurance, liability. I mean, let alone tech and Canva and ClickFunnels or your app of choice, whatever it is. There are so many ways that we can need to know more than we need and we don't have somebody on staff to fix it. Yes. Would you agree? (laughs) Yeah. A hundred percent about the boring parts of business, but they, they are necessity. And sometimes like you were talking about the, the sweating around the tech and stuff, I just laugh at it and I just be upfront about it. And it's, it's so funny because then I think other people can relax and they're like, Oh, it's not just me. And I just tell people straight up, look at this that I've messed up or I haven't figured out how to do and I'm still making money. Like, let me just, what was that quote where it's like just giving people permission to do the same? So like, if I just put it out there that it's okay, if I'm being vulnerable and saying, hey, I haven't figured this out or, oh, look what I just figured out today. It's like, oh, if she's still figuring stuff out, then maybe it's okay for me to still be figuring things out. 
That's so true. The episode that came out, um, well, again, I don't know when you're listening to this. It was episode, as a listener, episode 334, the craziest thing that ever happened to me while recording a podcast happened on that recording. And I decided to leave it in for just that reason. So what happened was a hawk, a giant bird, crashed into my window while I was recording. And it was so loud. I can't believe the window didn't crack and I can't believe the hawk flew away. It was so loud and scary and startling. So fortunately, the bird, you know, he was dazed because I got up to look at him, see if he was okay. This I do get bird strikes, but never a hawk. And um he righted himself and then he regrouped and he did fly away. And it the irony is that the the woman I was interviewing was a green building supplies uh and green building type of expert. She knew all about bird strikes. She sent me two articles about how to improve the windows. And she was totally cool with it. And I decided to leave it in because weird things do happen when you're recording. And to understand that it doesn't have to be perfect to be effective is one of the biggest lessons that I learned um, because I definitely have a perfectionist tendency and I want things to be really good. But what does it take to help somebody? It doesn't need to be perfect. That one. That one, Frank. (laughs) Yeah. So speaking of surprises, let's talk a little bit about some of the biggest surprises that had happened for you, uh, what have you realized and what has been a surprise since you've been in this space for 10 years? Biggest surprises. You know, sometimes the things that I know that other people don't know is a big surprise to me. I'm, let me see if I can think of one in particular. It, it's just as simple as, okay, here we go. So one of the things that I help people with is networking or collaborating with others. And people get this weird feeling when you hear the word networking. But another way to say networking is making new friends, right? And so when I'm talking to people about going to an event, doesn't even have to be an entrepreneur networking event per se, but just an event, a space with other new people that you don't know. The question came to me by a client, how do you break into conversation? And I was like, wait, huh? I didn't like, uh, oh, okay. I got to go back a step. Like, how do you literally break into conversation where they're little clusters and gaggles of people? And so just the surprises that I have for things that it's just like, oh, you just do X, Y, or Z or, oh, it's second nature has been a big surprise to me. And, and I have to really work to remember that because it's easy to me, doesn't mean it's less valuable. Mm. Mm, That's so good. I think uh, for me, one of the biggest surprises has been the realization that even my stupid stories are relevant. And I think it's a big surprise because also I sometimes think I don't remember enough about my life, about my childhood, about this or that. And One of the surprises about having a podcast is that I feel like it's my job to get better at remembering ways to illustrate points and teachable moments and and information about coaching and how you can apply it to your own life. And 
the stupid stories from my childhood and just from my life are so relevant because what you said, it gives an example and that example is inspirational to help other people also mine their memories for stories and applications in their life. So one that comes to mind is, is uh, about mud pies. Now, I don't even remember, you know, it certainly wasn't important in my life when I was making mud pies, but now I can really see it, it comes up in a, in an exercise I do about finding your passion project, which is about thinking back to stages in your life and not remember the trauma and drama that happened, but to try to remember the little points of joy, joyful moments. What made you really happy versus my parents got divorced or we moved or some terrible thing mm-hmm. happened? which is a lot of how we define our lives. But when I was in grade two, grade three, I loved making mud pies. And I used to make them with my friend, Judy. I lost touch with her, but we used to have the spot in the backyard where we'd make them and we'd put them out to dry. And I don't know what we did with them. Nothing probably, (laughs) but I really liked doing it. And then we look for ways in this exercise of how that can give you a clue about what you're passionate about. And there've been a lot of times in my life where making something with my hands has been incredibly joyful. And I won't go into that now, but yeah, something like that. So these stupid stories, another one that comes up around that same time period. I mean, how often are we thinking about grade three? Um, But it's when I got my first tape recorder. And that first tape recorder was, it's definitely something that happened that led me to making a podcast. When I look at the whole um, path of my journey to becoming attracted to voice and sound. Mind you, in grade three, we were recording farts and silly sounds and all kinds of crazy things. But I remember we would make commercials and the sound of the flushing toilet with the tiny bowl oh man. My goodness. And, oh my God. We did all <laughs> stuff like that. But I loved, you know, NPR radio when I was a kid and I was fascinated by a gramophone and have a gramophone in my house and, and just listening to music and just always being attracted to people telling stories on the radio, always loved it. And that comes from something that started in grade three when I wanted a tape recorder for a present. <laughs> I could only imagine y'all recording farts and toilet flushes. That's ah, it was the best. We would laugh like crazy. It was so much fun. <laughs> farts are funny. Come on now. <laughs> they are. <laughs> I prefer belches personally, but ah, okay. you see, some of my sisters prefer belches. It's really funny. However, you come out on that that part of the, what's fun, <laughs> funny bodily noises. Okay, we digress, but not really. The next thing I wanted to ask you is about some of your favorite moments being a coach in the space. What were some of the things that you're just so grateful for? Ooh, I am so grateful for all of the wonderful people that I have met along this journey. Like I could cry right now thinking about it because I remember saying in master coach training, how hard it was for me to make friends as an adult Mm -hmm. and that people didn't understand me. And there was shame around uh, stuff in my story that I told, I painted the picture in a way that made me feel terrible. But these women heard some of the stuff that nobody else in the world knows. And they still loved me. And they still thought I was amazing. And so I was like, 
wow, like I don't just have friends. I have sisters because of this. And so that that has been one of the biggest and best gifts of being a coach and being parts of these various communities, like hands down. One of my favorite things. I couldn't agree more. That's also something I was going to share. I've never met more amazing people in a period of my life. Um, it because I think we're attracted to these communities and we recognize as coaches, we recognize how important it is to put yourself in these communities. Some of them are paid communities. Some of them are free communities, but it's like we're supposed to do this. If you know, (laughs) if you know how important it is to your business. And to learn from other people and to keep growing as a human, it's really, really important. So I agree. I did not meet this many amazing people in the 27 years of my profession. I didn't. I didn't have this many opportunities because I didn't have as much control over my time. And I wasn't as comfortable on spending on myself, spending on my own education and professional development. When you get, when you're working for somebody else, Sometimes you get into that thinking, I got into that thinking that if my uh, company would pay for it, then it's sanctioned and I would do it. But it mm-hmm. took a while. I remember the first time I hired a coach, I, I was so nervous about a program that I was going to be paying for. It was $3,000. I, I, I remember how much I couldn't make the decision, how confused I was, how much I talked yeah. to my husband about it, how much I talked to friends about it, how many questions I asked that poor coach back and forth on the emails forever. I just wasn't comfortable investing in my own education. And Mm. that's really changed for me. I'm very comfortable. I'm better at choosing what is a good fit for me at that time. Very comfortable with it now. Um, But yeah, I would say when you do that, you're meeting more like-minded people who have a lot in common with you. And it's been an absolute joy. Yeah. Best money I have ever spent. Yeah. And in terms of a highlight in my career uh, as a coach, a couple of things pop out. One of them was having Joan London on my podcast. So Joan London, if you're listening and don't know who she was, she's a very famous news broadcaster and host of Good Morning America for a long time. Um, If you grew up in the States, you grew up with Joan. And she was uh, around for 20 years or something. And she was very high profile. She went on to write a lot of books. And the thing about having her on my podcast that is so memorable is that her people or her PR or whatever, they reached out to me. And that was shocking to me. I remember looking at my email, almost like a cartoon, uh, like a cartoon moment where I was rubbing my eyes like, what? Like, try, am I really seeing it? Is that the Joan London I'm thinking about? Oh my God. And I was so nervous about having somebody so famous in my Zoom square, but she had just written a book and I'll put the link to it in the show notes, but it was about aging and it was an amazing book. So well-resourced, so evidence-based, so much humor. And that whole experience has been great. And and related to that is that if I want to have somebody on my podcast now who's written a book, I ask. And they often come on the podcast. So it's such a fun thing to do to have a reason to reach out to people you want to learn from and have a natural way to invite them uh, to communicate with you. It's it's really been fun. Have you had that experience? I have. It's like it, it, it just makes me think of the saying you have not because you ask not. 
And really, the only thing they can do is say no. And so it makes me think of the guy, uh, the TEDx or the TED Talk, where he he made a point to go get 100 no's. And when I think about business and sales in particular, because we have to do some level of sales or invitations, like I like invitations because it's a little more feminine, it's a little softer. But even if you make an invitation, a person could say no, right? And so one of the things that I think about, especially for us as women, when I think about men, we can say, oh, it's bro marketing, it's masculine and all these things, but they have to go ask us to dance and to ask us to date and to ask us to marry them. And what, what do we really have to ask for? Everything is, is coming to us. And so when we step into the sales role, it's like not a practiced muscle in terms of asking for things, in terms of making invitations to people. And it's just a skill and it's something that we can build around. So I wanted to, to say that since you were talking about asking, but you also made me think of highlights just the highlight, another highlight of my career was being able to move to Mexico. And I, I mean, remember I told you, I read that book in April 20, 2007. I had just come back from Costa Rica. One month in Costa Rica, it was one of my dreams to go to Spanish immersion school because I wanted to be fluent in Spanish. So at that time, I had a contracting company. When you, If you've ever been a contractor, you know, if you don't work, you don't get paid. And so I had saved up enough money to afford one month. So I can go to Spanish immersion school for one month. So I went to that. I came back, saw the book. And then that was when the seed was planted. Well, entered 2020. Everybody knows what happened. I showed myself that I could fly. I I officially told them I wasn't coming back to the hospital. And then 2020 turned into 2021. And we were still at this. And I was like, uh... If I'm going to be stuck in the house, I should be stuck in the house by somebody's beach. And so, I'm so excited. At, <laughs> right. But at that time, I had finally gotten my business to the place where I felt safe. Like it had been months and months, but like, okay, nervous system, everybody's on board. We're safe. We're actually doing this. We don't have to live down the street from the hospital in case it, everything crumbles and we have to go back or it's a fluke. That's one of the thoughts that I, that a lot of us have. Like we have some success and we're like, ah, this is a fluke. Mm. Right. So I had I had had sustained it for a certain amount of time and I felt comfortable and I felt safe. And so I decided, well, why not? Like, this is what I had been waiting for. This is what I had been building for. This is what I had been dreaming of. And so I decided Mexico. Why Mexico? People always ask me that because at that particular time, that was one of the few countries that was letting U.S. citizens in because of how we were handling the pandemic. Um, and of those countries, it was really the only one, I think, at the time that was Spanish speaking. And that was one of my goals. Plus, one of my friends from Atlanta three years prior had moved down here to the town where I stay. And so I figured if she has been here for three years and she still doesn't know Spanish, then I could make it. <laughs> and I knew a little Spanish. So those are some of the reasons why I made it to Mexico and this town in particular, which is called Playa del Carmen, which is about an hour from Cancun. Uh, Well, I've been watching you on Facebook ever since we met. And when I started to see this happening, uh, I knew we had to talk about it at some point because you created it. You created it and you had enough nerve to actually do it. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's like when I think back now, people are like, oh my gosh, you're so brave. And at the time, I think it's a little naivete <laughs> and a little bravery mixed together. Cause there was definitely, I just like, I like to keep it real and transparent. There, there was excitement. There was preparation. Then there was fear. And then there was determination. And then we did it. And I got down here and I love, love, love living in Playa del Carmen because it's a high vacation spot. Lots and lots of people from all over the world come here. And like y'all know, I love people and I love meeting my internet friends. And so they vacation here all the time. So all you have to do at least a week ahead, just let me know that you're coming and I'll try to make sure that I have time available. So in any case, when I got here, There were several friends vacationing here because, again, Mexico was one of the few countries that was still pretty open to tourism. And I was just running around, hanging out with my Internet friends from all over the world. And about three weeks in, everybody had gone back for whatever, you know, wherever they came from. And reality hit me like, oh, shoot, I actually did it. And I'm in somebody else's country. And I thought I knew Spanish, but my Spanish I had developed for working in the hospitals, in the clinics. That is not the same as feeding yourself or knowing what the, how to call a spoon or a fork or whatever, or how to navigate the grocery store, right? So I promptly freaked out at the three-week mark, which I hear, I've seen enough other expats come here to know that that's about the time frame when you're going to freak out. But again... Asking for help, you have not because you ask not, is one of my beliefs and mantras. And so I have a little community that I email and communicate with every Sunday. I have done so since July 2018 and have not missed a Sunday. And I said, I'm struggling. This is where I am. This is what I thought it would be. This is how it feels right now. Help. Do you know anybody? And two people responded. One person who had been reading the emails and she says, I live up the street from you. I'll come take you to brunch. God bless her. She's been on your podcast. I think Elizabeth Sherman. Oh, the other one was someone who knew someone who lived here. And she said, I'll connect y'all on Facebook. She is one of my besties now. We just went to Bacalar, this beautiful place with seven different colors of the, the lakes. And this is the power also of relationships, why I talked about the biggest gift to me and highlights has been the people, you know, they, they are just willing to reach out and help, but you, you can't get help if you don't open your mouth. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That's so good. I got teary uh, hearing your story and now I'm going to share something that's going to make me even more teary. So I have to make sure I have a, a tissue handy. I know it's coming. (laughs) That is such a beautiful story. Um, One of the other moments that I'm most grateful for is that with a podcast, I'm able to share something I know is going to be inspirational to somebody else. And something happened. um, I think it was last year. Yeah, it was last year. Uh, It was a really crazy thing. And I, I did a podcast on it because I knew it was going to be so amazing. So what happened was my mother passed in 1968 and she grew up in the Rhode Island area. And, you know, that was ages ago. I was five years old. So a lot of years go by and I get this email 
from somebody that's not related telling me that she has something that she think I would want to have that was my mother's. I'm like, what? <laughs> and it turns out her father uh, was passionate about, he had a metal detector and he spent a lot of time on the beaches of Rhode Island and he found a bracelet with my mother's name on it. It's unbelievable. This story was 70 years in the making. So when he passed, she inherited all the stuff that he had been collecting and finding on beaches for decades. And she sent it to me. So she looked up the name to find me. And it was a genealogy tree that I had set up in 1992. That's how she was able to find me. She could see that she had, that my mother had passed very young. And she knew that my sister and I would want this bracelet. Uh, and she especially knew that because she, her mother also died when she was young. So she felt very committed to find me. She sent me the bracelet. And, you know, it had been under the sand for decades. And then it had been in a jar of buttons and pins and other weird stuff that her dad had found. And... um and I took the bracelet. It was sterling silver. I took it to a jeweler and I had a bracelet made for my sister and me. So we each have the same bracelet. I know you can't see it if you're listening, but I will show Tavana on Zoom. It's like a, a little ID bracelet yes. and the silver was melted into the nameplate and I had it engraved exactly the way uh, my mother had it engraved, which was with her full name and uh, when she had it created, which was in... um June 1951. And so it's unbelievable. And so the reason I'm sharing it now was not only was I able to receive such a beautiful gift from somebody that I didn't know who found this bracelet, but I was able to interview her about kindness. I know this is where we're both tearing up. (laughs) It was a really, really beautiful episode, and I was so grateful to be able to have a platform where I could share such a story about the importance of kindness. Like, she didn't have to do it. She was sitting on that for years, but it was the pandemic, since you were talking about the pandemic, that she had time to go through every all this stuff that her father had collected and pursue it. And like I said, it was just so beautiful. My sister and I sent her flowers and having her on the podcast where she could really tell her story of what it was like for her uh, to find it and to find me. And there was another there was another bracelet. There were two bracelets. Somebody else also (laughs) was tracked down Um, and she tells the whole story. And of course, I'll put that link in the show notes if you want to follow up with it. But Having a podcast, I never in a million years thought I would have a podcast. I didn't even know about podcasts. I didn't have a smartphone. I was a late adopter for smartphone technology. (laughs) And I just was, it never occurred to me I would have a podcast, let alone a successful podcast, you know, and it's been so much fun and I've gotten to meet so many people. And when something funny happens, I'm able to share a funny story that, that makes aging a little bit more, a little less scary. People love to hear the funny stories. 
It makes every just everything just feel normal. You know, you're not alone. A lot of weird things happen in menopause and when we age. And and I'm I love that I can share that stuff and that those stories can help people and inspire people. So this story about kindness, I could have never anticipated in a million years that something that was my mother's would be found under the sand. Seventy years later, you know, it would come back to me. It mm-hmm. it was really a crazy story. So. That is definitely uh, something that falls under the favorite moment category. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So the next question I want to talk about is how have you felt really fulfilled in your business? Because, you know, everybody thinks, not everybody, but those of us who are attracted to being an entrepreneur, we kind of think, well, if you'll feel more fulfilled because you have more flexibility, you have more control. You can really focus on doing what it is that you want to do. So I'm very curious about where you have felt fulfilled in your business over the last 10 years. Yes, I think that's true with the freedom and the flexibility, but it's it, it's like once you have it, you have it and it just becomes part of who you are. And so I think something else has to move you and has to fuel you at the, after that point. Um Because if we think about Maslow's hierarchy, like we got to eat. I talk about like, how do we make sure you have food in belly, roof overhead, clothes on back? So like once that has been satisfied, then what what I realized after time was it was more about the mission. And it came it became less about do I have enough money to pay the bills and things like that? And more like, okay, who else can I help? How else can I explain this so that they understand? I get so much joy when my clients win. Like I it just even if it's not a ginormous monetary win and I have clients doing a half a million dollars this year, like even when people get their first client, when people land a podcast, like it's just the little things where they see themselves in a different light. Oh my goodness. I told one of my clients the other day, we were just chatting about something and she said something to me that stopped me in the tracks. And all I could do was send her the clapping emoji and say, the grasshopper has now become the teacher, (laughs) period. (laughs) That is joy and fulfillment to me. And I think also like really doing the work when you don't think anybody's paying attention, when you don't think anybody's listening you referenced the the masterclass that I taught a little bit. I didn't realize how many people that I had been in communication and contact with that were like, I need to come to that. I want to come to that. I, I never, I never would have imagined that that many people were like actually paying attention. And then kind of in lines with that, like when the pandemic happened, again, I was a physical therapist and still practicing at that time. And I had done all of the work to learn how to do the tech, to learn how to do summits, to learn how to do uh, virtual conferences. And so when the world shut down and all the people in healthcare were frantic because we were so used to being in-person, hands-on, and that was not a possibility, I put on a summit for women in healthcare and business. And I did it within six weeks, I think it was. We had about 800 people sign up because I was fueled by the thought, I know what to do, I can help. But that was in 2020. And remember, 2012 was when I got that wellness coach certification. So like eight years of fighting and fussing through learning how to do the tech, fighting and fussing through 
how to bring people together, fighting and fussing through all the things that then put me into a place like where Oprah says, luck is where preparedness and opportunity meet. Ooh, so good. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, that's so, so good. I, I had a similar experience. I didn't, I didn't host a summit, but I also realized I'm like, wow, the stuff that I'm doing every day on Zoom with my having a microphone and a light and like really understanding how to do it properly. All my new friends, uh, I'm sorry, all my old friends who are freaking who are in healthcare, they don't know anything about this. So I had calls with several of them just to show them. I was even seeing famous people not being mic'd properly on their Zoom calls when they were trying to help. I'm just like, wow, people, you got to get a mic if you really, <laughs> if you really want to do this. Nobody, it's, I think it's really misunderstood how important a mic is. Certainly having a podcast, um, I'm telling people all the time, wow, you could sound a lot better. It'd be really nice if you had a mic. They think that, that the mic and the computer is good enough and it's often not. I mean, yeah. So I would say also one of the times that I felt really, really fulfilled, it's similar to yours, but it's watching a client's head actually explode. So when you know that you've said something, there's a different expression on your client's face combined with a pause. You can see the thinking happening. It feels so amazing to watch it and to know that there was something about the way you connected or explained something or shared a story or used a different analogy that hit. And it was a life-changing moment. There's nothing better than that. Yeah. There's nothing Good better dopamine that. hits that don't involve calories. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I want to also ask you about pride. When have you felt most proud? Oh, I really think even though I didn't get to stand on stage at that time because it was the pandemic, but when I got that Tiffany box that said 100K award, oh, uh, you couldn't tell me anything. I had the biggest head. I was so proud of myself. I bought myself a ring that I had been looking at for a couple of years. I went on vacation. I displayed my award. I was so, and still am, so proud of myself. Mm, Tavana, me too. I bought this necklace. <laughs> Ooh, it's it, pretty. It's, it's just a, it's a little, a uh, little diamond necklace with little diamonds around it. And I, I wanted it. I wanted a necklace that I wouldn't take off. And I waited for it to go on sale. I'd been watching for it. And when I hit that milestone and got that box, also so proud. It never occurred to me that I, uh, that I could really do it. I mean, it did mm -hmm. occur to me, but I had, the belief was still a little shaky. Like you, it took me longer than I thought. And I yeah. started to have doubt. That was a huge one. And then the other one where I felt really proud was when the podcast hit a million downloads. Oh, that was I, so fun watching that. I really was surprised by that. I needed some coaching around really celebrating it because I was getting all weird about it, like afraid that it wouldn't really happen. But it it happened. And now like it's continuing to grow. And it's super fun because I really didn't think that I would be doing something like this at 60 you know? <laughs> okay. I'm dying to ask you this question. When have you had the most fun? Oh my goodness. I have the, mo so pre-pandemic and post-pandemic, I always have the most fun when I'm gathering people together. 
So pre-pandemic, I used to, when I would do speaking engagements, I would have um, conversations and cocktails in various cities. So wherever I was speaking, I would find some one of my internet friends that lived in the area. They would be the ambassador. And I'm like, we're going to do conversations and cocktails in your city. And so I just need a place for the people with a large bar area. And that's where we would have them. So I was so excited. 2019, I was doing them. And then, of course, 2020. And so now that the world has opened up, I did one here in Mexico, a retreat. That was so much fun. And next year, or well, depends on when this drops. But in 2024, I'm going on a world tour. And the the first two stops are the UK and Dubai. So like, I just have so much fun traveling and being around people. Oh my gosh. Are you going to come to Toronto? Okay. Maybe 2025. Cause <laughs> I got to get, I got to see my folks in Canada. I actually have more people, I think in Vancouver. Okay. I won't take but... it personally. It, Vancouver <laughs> is very beautiful. I know. <laughs> I, I, you? Uh, uh, well, the most fun, I think I really had to think about this cause I've had a lot of fun. But also there was a retreat that I hosted that came, it came to the list. It was in Palm Desert. It was just before the pandemic. It was January, 2020. And uh, Palm Desert, I have an uncle who lives there in California. And I'd been there many times over the years because I had family who lived there. And it just occurred to me, I love it so much there. I mean, it would be perfect if it had an ocean. <laughs> it's a little, <laughs> you know, cause I like the whale watching, but um, it was, it was so much fun. There's a place there that I'd been before called the Living Desert Zoo and Gardens. And there's a walking trail that goes into the Chihuahuan Desert. And the retreat I hosted had to do with stretching, stretching your mind, stretching your body, stretching, just stretching yourself. And I thought giraffes fit into the stretch theme that you're allowed to feed giraffes there. They have the most beautiful area. It doesn't even look like you're in a zoo. It just looks like vast land and you can feed giraffes. And it was such a highlight with the ladies who were there in the retreat. We had all never done anything like that. And it was so exciting. Uh, I just loved it. And then we had a yoga class out in the desert, not in a specific place, just in the desert that was flat with a yoga teacher. And it is just it was such a beautiful experience and getting to know people that you've known for a while online is remarkable to finally be able to see people in person when you've been working with them sometimes for a year or more. It's so much fun. And I'm actually going to be doing that again soon um, in a retreat that's coming up. But, but that one, that one comes to the top. And I would say also going on other people's retreats has been so much fun more, just more develop personal development in cool locations with cool people and with other people's creativity helping you grow. It has just been amazing. I love so it. So much fun. So much fun. Exactly. Okay. Now I want to talk a little bit about what coaching was like back in the day versus what it's like today. So some of your observations on what you see happening uh, out there in coaching land. Well, I think back in the day, well, let me talk about when you and I got certified, it was just coach certification, like how to do the skill of coaching. You had to figure it out for yourself about how to get the clients. And so 
I really think that that was a big advantage personally, because because nobody was showing me and I had to figure it out, then I got to do it my way. Or I felt like I had more freedom and latitude to do it my my own way, um, which also can be a little more challenging because nobody's laying out the steps for you. But also I wasn't biased towards someone else's way and I didn't shame myself as much <laughs> in terms of not doing it the way somebody else did. So that's one thing in terms of how we were certified that I really, really appreciated because there was no expectation that somebody was going to do stuff for me. Um, the other thing that I find, or at least the way that I felt it was back in the day, is that it was about finding your niche, finding your lane, finding your little corner of the world. And just really serving those people, even though, and I think it's kind of like you were saying, we started when it was still on the telephone. Obviously, we were calling in from different parts of the world or different parts of the country if you were in the U.S. But it was still like, okay, even though we were trained like this, we went to our, typically to our individual parts of the the country and we found clients there. And so with that, I think there was more high touch. There was more local touch. I had in-person clients that I could talk to and connect with. Um, and it didn't feel as much like this influencer status kind of thing. It was less about social media, less about being an influencer, less about creating all this content. It was more about, and this is where I make the difference, not being an influencer, but learning how to create influence or use the influence you have to create clients. And so I think that's one of the biggest differences. And shortly after we got certified, there was a little bit more about, okay, using ads and the idea of funnels and all of the and lead magnets and all of these things. But I guess to, to wrap it up, I would say coaching was simpler mm. back then. It was just a simpler time in terms of the telephone, in terms of the tech, in terms of the the points between you and the client. And actually, I think what we're starting to see in terms of trends is a little bit more of a return to that, where people are craving a simpler business, a simpler time, less steps, less tech, less complexity between them and the client. That's interesting. I I love that you brought that up. It really did seem simpler back then. I remember using Facebook, like to get the free clients I needed to uh, practice coaching. That mm -hmm. was done on Facebook and word of mouth for sure. Mm -hmm. But it did seem much simpler then. Now, if you're not careful, you're going to be focusing so much time on all the different types of possible ways to connect with clients, you end up being stretched very thin and you end up not becoming an expert in any of those strategies. Big time. Yeah. And I think that's also why I think about going back to a, a little bit simpler time in business where we want to connect with people and bring them together, whether they're, whether that's in person or online, there are people that you are meant to serve that you can be bringing together and you don't have to be an extrovert like me and want to talk to all the people all the time. I think about the difference between like a big rave of people or a dinner party if you're an introvert, right? And you can spread out 
the frequency of the dinner parties. But when we think about relevancy and staying relevant in this world that is rapidly changing around us, human connection is something that the AIs can't do that will keep you relevant in your business for a long time to come, in my personal opinion. That's a mic drop moment, I do think. Yeah, that's so good. Okay, now, as we're getting near the end here, I've been saving this question. What is the scariest thing you've done with your life coach hat on? Ooh, two things. The scariest thing that I did, well, the first one was completely let go of that contract at the hospital Mm. and say, I'm not coming back because it was like my little lightest blanket. It's like, (laughs) I wasn't using it, but it was always there. You know, just in case this life coaching thing didn't work out. And when they called me to the carpet and they were like, either you need to come back or you need to give up your spot. I was like, okay, uh, let me go lie down for a second. You know, because it, it, I felt heart palpitations. I was sweating. I was shaking. I was, I was petrified. Hadn't used it in months, but absolutely terrified to let it go. So that was one thing. And then I think being on a coaching call, and I think at the time when I did that group coaching call, there were 1,300 people, Mm. 1,300 other certified coaches look at me in my face while I was coaching somebody else. And I've always had this this thought of because you and I got certified way back when and things changed. And I was like, I don't coach like them. That was my thought. And it was a shameful thought. And it made me feel like, okay, I don't know, out of place or something. And so when I was put to coach in front of so many people, having that thought made it very terrible experience for me. Like sweaty mess afterwards. And of course I did fine, but I think it's like the difference between doing it and bringing the suffering along with you. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think that that's one of the scariest things that I've ever done. Yeah, that's, it's, that is scary. I was also scared in situations like that. I didn't love them. It's also good to know what you don't love though. And you can decide, is this something I want to work on or not? And so, my one of my, I have two scary things too, and one of them was speaking in front of five hundred people live on a stage, and I hated it. I did a good job, but I thought I was going to die. <laughs> and I remember before when I was all you know ready to go and the mic was all on and everything, I went into the lobby and to get a drink of water, and some very nice person in attendance said, oh, are you speaking? And I said, yes, I am. I'm really nervous. And she looked at me and she said, you know, we all want you to do well. And I thought, what a kind soul. That never occurred to me. (laughs) I don't know what I was thinking, but certainly not that they wanted me to do well. It helped me so much. So I enjoyed coming up with the speech and I enjoyed it being finished, but I really didn't like the experience of being on stage with a large live audience. And so I don't know that that's something I want to work with. I, I've i been told that I should do a TED Talk, and I'm like, no way. That is nothing I want to do because it feels like that. So who knows if I'll change my mind, but I like I like the idea of knowing that I don't have to if I don't want to. Right? I love that. And the other time that was scary 
is nothing like that, but it's also about being very visible and vulnerable. And it was the first time that I pressed publish on a blog about my experience as a kid losing both of my parents. And I had never done that in writing. And at that point, I'm not sure I'd ever done it publicly. Certainly, it's something I talk about all the time. But having it in a blog felt really different. And I uh, I was very uncomfortable. I had to get some coaching on it. I was afraid to do it. And I had to really think, what am I so afraid of? Because I'm probably going to help somebody. And I got a lot of responses to that one, that it did help. They were very happy that I talked about it. In my situation, there were two times. It wasn't that they died in a plane crash or something. One was when I was five and one was when I was 12. But I put it in writing. And then that gave me the confidence to eventually do a podcast episode about it. So that was very surprising. I wasn't so surprised that I was scared to speak in front of a lot of people, but it did surprise me that the blog had a similar effect. So again, these are just ways to learn about yourself and uh, and all of that. Okay. Yeah. One of so, my friends calls them no thank you bites. Ooh, and I love it so love much. That. So her, she explained, the way she explained to me was her parents would make her take a no thank you bite. So if she was doing some, trying some new food, she couldn't say she didn't like it without having the no thank you bite first. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah. It was a no thank you bite, both of them. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we're almost at the end. One more question, and then we'll wrap it up with the final uh, the final one. So how has your age affected or not affected your decisions and experience? So with me turning 60 this year, it really affected me in a positive way. It gave me the courage and the creativity to talk about it more and to push myself more to celebrate it the way I really wanted to celebrate it. So more so than I turned 50... I didn't have a business yet, but I turned 50 the year I got laid off 10 years ago. And then so this was this year uh, turning 60. It I, I just I loved it. I loved that I ended up talking about it more and celebrating it and putting it out there to give people other ideas of how they could celebrate it, uh, too. I haven't really felt that my age um, held me back in any way in the online space or as a coach. I have interviewed lots of people who said that in corporate or when they're employed by other people, it starts to affect them. And there's a lot of stigma about aging. Uh, certainly it affected me when I got laid off. I started to think about my age more than I had before. But I would say as a business person, as an entrepreneur in this space, uh, it's been a good thing. How about you? Well, I think it's been a good thing. And the older I get, the more confident I am to just say what's on my mind and speak up and just say what I know to be true um, from my perspective. And then the other thing that was surprising, and I think you said we'll talk about this in, in more detail in the future, was now as I'm starting to take over some of my mom's affairs, it's really made me think about, okay, how do I need to set up my business so that it works for me if I have to take care of her on a more full-time basis? And so that's the thing, you know, of course, with me reading the four hour work week, I always thought about my lifestyle and how I set up my business. But now it's not just considering me and my lifestyle is considering me and potentially taking care of someone else's livelihood um, 
in the time. So that's that's one of the things that I said, how aging has affected decisions in my business. Oh, man, that's so good. Yeah, that certainly that comes up a lot um, with entrepreneurs because they know they could probably make it work. But this, there's still the question of how. How am I going to make it work? Because if it's a value that you really want to pursue, how is that going to happen for you? And it, it does start to happen when you get older, that's for sure. Okay, we're going to wrap it up with this question. What are you excited about most in your business going forward? I know you have your world tour coming up, which is pretty great. But what would be really fun? What are you thinking about doing more of going forward? Oh, what's exciting? Yes, the world tour. Uh, yes, an initiative that I started called One Billion Served. And for me, the question came up of like, what would this world be like if 1 billion people in the population had been touched or affected by coaching? And so I really, it, yes, of course we need money to live because that's just how this world works. But also a lot of us got into this because we wanted to help more people. We wanted to have more impact. And, and that's where the question came from kind of like, McDonald's and the million, I remember when I was a kid and it said million hamburgers served. And so that's what I think about when I think about 1 billion served, like how can we get out there and truly help the people that we were meant to help? And part of the way that I'm doing that is with what I call the Coaches Collective. And it's an organization that I created to bring coaches together that want to collaborate, that want to have these retreats together, that want to have one another on each other's platforms and want to help you grow They want to see you do well. Like you said, when you went up onto the stage, like that's the spirit that this was born in. And it's just like, okay, how can we have collaboration sessions where you can meet one another and really get to know the people around you and what they're up to? Not this stuffy networking thing where it's like, oh, I'm so-and-so and you got the perfect elevator pitch. And then also just bringing other people onto my platform and say, hey, Lonis, you're brilliant. What do you, you got the mic for an hour? What do you have to say? What do you want to share? What do you need people to know? So that's that's kind of how what I'm excited about doing going forward. Well, that's so good. I love it. I'm absolutely going to be a part of that collective. One hundred percent. Count me in. <laughs> so one of the things I'm really excited about, there's one personal part of it and a business part of it. And the the personal part of it is I really want to spend more time not in winter. <laughs> so I listen, you know where I live. <laughs> I keep moving further south. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, with my business, I can absolutely do it laptop lifestyle. But the thing is that my lifestyle lifestyle isn't really conducive to that. I have a family. I have a husband. I have uh, and he does not have a laptop lifestyle. And he also doesn't hate the winter. And I have a dog and a bird, a very needy dog and a bird. So I have some constraints, but what I was thinking about, and I've mentioned to him many times on dog walks, you know, what is my baseline minimum? What could I do? How long could I go strategically that it's not that disruptive and it's someplace you would like to visit? Like if I went six weeks, would that work? If you came down for a week in the middle, if I went four weeks, would that work? Could we afford the care that we need at home with the pets to, you know, deal with me being away for that period of time? Is that okay with you? Is it a place that you like enough that you would go? So for him, 
it has to be scuba diving. It, it can't just be warm. He needs come scuba. Come visit, come visit. I know. I totally am on to where you live. We're totally going to do that. It's on the list. <laughs> we'll talk more. Um, but it, I don't scuba. I snorkel and I like everything like that. For me, it has to be some whale watching and it needs to be an ocean and it needs to be warm. And it doesn't need to be six months. I don't need to go away like that. And I can't right now. That's for sure. Um, but it has to break the winter up. So this year I've got a retreat that I planned in the winter. So I think a retreat and a little getaway would do it for me. Last year I went away twice and it made a world of difference. Um, it made a world of difference in terms of just my mood, my happiness. Dinner, winter's a drag. I, I really, it's not for me. So that's one thing. And then the other thing is, you know how in business it's very easy to get lost in the trees and lose sight of the forest. And I'm always doing that. We get very busy with the task list and the each individual ideas. But like your big grand idea, your mission, sometimes I lose perspective of what is really going on here. And one of the things that I lost perspective of is where is my best bang for my buck? How can I help people the best? What am I doing? What strategy am I employing that's working the best? And it's the podcast. And I kind of didn't pick that up. I was thinking about the podcast is something I have to do. It's something I love meeting the people, the guests, and I love the trees, but I kind of lost track of the forest. And then when I had that epiphany, I know this sounds so obvious if you're listening. And Tavana, you're probably going, come on, Susie, really? <laughs> but I'm like, what else can I do? Have I ever taken a class? Have I ever taken a course to learn anything about podcasting in a strategic way? Have I ever, um, have I maxed out my ability to be on other, pe- other people's podcasts as guests? I never really focused on it. I've done it by the by, but I never really focused on it. What else can I do with podcasting? I have a new podcast coming out now that came from that epiphany called Women in the Middle Entrepreneurs. And if you're listening, you'll be hearing a lot more about that. But I'm very excited about that. And, you know, what can I do to leverage what is already working? How can I make it work better? What can I do to leverage? And honestly, sometimes this is where I get hard on myself. I'm like, what is taking you so long to figure this stuff out? (laughs) But whatever, it took a while. I figured it out. And that's what I'm working on now. And also, doing exactly what you said. I I joined a couple of new communities last year and next year uh, to just meet more people. And I really want to make sure I'm not only meeting coaches, but I'm meeting other people, not just coaches, not just women, also men. I haven't really done that kind of networking a lot of in the last couple of years. So I think all of this is really fun. I have a couple of fun ideas that I parked right now because I have a lot of squirrels and a lot of creativity. So I I have a whiteboard and I just park the ideas. They're gone, but not forgotten uh, for next year. But that's what I'm thinking about. Fun is a priority. And <laughs> talking to other people, getting coaching to get perspective and, and to keep working on this stuff. I would say another thing that I really am leaning into is creativity and how I can um, just bring more of that into my business. I find that very exciting, too. Um, so, Tavana, how can we get a hold of you? I know people want to get a hold of you. What is the best way? Uh, well, you can find me on my website at TavanaDenise.com, and that's T-A-V as in Victor, O-N-A-D-E-N-I-S-E. If you like chatting, 
slide into my DMs on the Instagrams <laughs> at Tavana Denise as well. And I'm sure you're going to put this in the show notes, but if you want to be a part of the collective, we've got great people who are not just coaches in there. Um, you can go to TavanaDenise.com forward slash join the collective. Okay. That's awesome. Tavana. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for coming on. This idea just came because I, I was at your webinar and you happened to mention that you'd been a coach for 10 years. And I'm like, wait a minute, we were in the same training class. That means I've been a coach for 10 years. <laughs> this would be a great thing to talk about. So I quickly, I slid into your DMs. I sent you a note and here we are. It's been so much fun reminiscing and connecting and thinking about what's been happening for each of us. And you can see that the way you think it's going to work out, it doesn't usually work out that way. But as I believe, and it's something I talk about all the time on the podcast, if you believe that you're on the right path, you'll start to really understand how you are on the right path. You don't need to see the whole thing with clarity, but the things that you're doing, the way you're making decisions, it's making sense and you are moving forward. So that belief that you're on the right path is really critical, I think. Do you agree? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I would have never, like, if I look back and I'm like, oh, that's what I've been doing all this time. And I tell people, and I really am starting to, to feel the momentum behind this now. It's like, oh, that's why I made that pivot. That's why I made that decision. That's why I did that thing that looked like a mistake before, but now, oh, that's what happened. That's what came of that. And so it just feels like picking picking up and or creating and developing little pieces of a puzzle. And mm. now I can see, you know, how you get most of the puzzle done and you're like, oh, I can see the picture now. That's what it feels like. I I get that. It's like, Sometimes when it comes to your zone of genius, it's like this with passion projects. So many of my clients are like, I want a passion project. I don't know what my passion is. They don't believe that the small things they've been doing are part of the passion. They don't see the full picture. And it's been like that with my business. And it's been like that with your business. It's to like really see, oh, this is what I'm really good at. This is the way I'm really helping people have insight and epiphanies of their own. This is the way I meant to help people move forward. It's not that clear. Even though we're doing it, we don't see the big picture. And a lot of times it's difficult to see the big picture unless you have some help. You need to build in perspective. That's one way that coaching is so valuable. It's so valuable. I'm so grateful that I found coaching. I'm so grateful that we were in the same class together 10 same. years ago. I'm oh so grateful gosh. we had this conversation and I'm so grateful you live someplace with snorkeling. Because we're totally going to hang out. <laughs> Please do. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was really, really fun. Same. Thank you so much for having me, Susie. Okay, that's it for this episode. As you can see, behind every successful entrepreneur is a giant learning curve, lots of failures, a ton of creativity, a heaping dose of self-development, and a huge number of exhilarating ups and some scary downs. <laughs> But when you care deeply about helping people and making a difference, it's also worth it. It can be the most exciting chapter of your life. That's how it has played out for Tavana and me, and we have never looked back. As you know, this podcast is all about how to love your life again after 50. It's really all about coaching you to become more intentional and to incorporate mindfulness into your life as a regular practice. This is how you put yourself on your agenda. My focus as your midlife coach is to help you get unstuck clear and focused on your current values and priorities so you don't have regrets. 
I can help you create the success you're looking for. And that is why I've created the Women in the Middle Happiness Academy. With you in mind, because it's a warm, supportive, and fun coaching community of like-minded women who grow forward together. It is totally possible to feel great about your roadmap to a more fun, meaningful, and regret-free next chapter. So email me your questions and let's talk about it and see if it's for you. Go ahead and book your free, no-obligation momentum call at www.womeninthemiddleacademy.com. If you're thinking about how to make the vision for your future come to life, make sure to treat yourself to Midlife Vision Board Coaching to help you create what you really want. Head over to my website at susierosenstein.com forward slash shop. And finally, for show notes and links, head over to susierosenstein.com and click the podcast tab and look for episode 337. Thanks so much for listening. It's time for you to put yourself first, one thought at a time. I'm Susie Rosenstein, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye.